Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Morning. Uh, this is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name is Bron Burton. And I'm Dr. Beach. How are you, Dr. Beach? I'm very well this morning. Excellent. Still rejoicing in a wonderful gig last night. Went to the Thornbread Bowls. To nice. See lots of bands who you may not have heard of. It was kind of the title of the show. Out, really wonderful. Out and about and getting amongst it, Dr. Out Beach. Out and about. Yeah. Very pleased to hear it. Yeah. I sat up in bed and watched Dirty Dancing. Oh, did you? Just, <laughs> you know, just because it was on. I've channel surfed. I'm going to go old school. I'm doing free-to-air movie on a Saturday night. Oh, nice one. How was it? <laughs> it was good. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I always, I always skip the beginning of the movie. Do you? Uh, yeah. I don't know why. I just, I'm, I'm just not concentrating. I'm, like, it's on, but I'm not taking it in. So, yeah, there was stuff I'm like, yep. oh, I don't, re- don't remember that happening. Anyway. Oh, so you went back and watched the beginning last night? No, I just watched it from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. You, you watched the beginning. Yeah. Anyway... <laughs> This is not about Dirty Dancing, this is about Radio Marinara, all things wet and salty. Before we get into today's program, thank you, Tim, very much uh, for Vital Bits, six hours of Vital Bits this weekend. Thank you, Andrew, for Soulful Bits. Thank you, Steph, for things to do today. Wonderful program, Tim. Thank you, as always. Sure was. Yeah. And, of course, you can catch Tim next weekend for more Vital Bits, Saturday and Sunday. Lots of subscribers coming through for Vital Bits during the week. And um, I've been away the last two weeks, as have you, Dr. Beach. I have. And uh, but, but, been but re- and really nice to hear during the week people subscribing to not only our programs. show, but all programs. But it does give us a special little cheer, doesn't it, when we're listening to Maps, maybe, or listening to... You know, some other show, and then we hear someone subscribing to Radio Marinara. Do you get that? I get that little jolt. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so nice. Yeah. So thank you all, all those out there, all those wonderful listeners that we have that regularly tune in on a Sunday morning and who subscribe to the program. Yeah, we've been listening and we've been hearing and we thank you very much. Um, We know that there are a lot of you out there who have subscribed and sent in comments that we haven't got to see yet because particularly if it didn't happen during the 9 till 10 slot on a Sunday during that sort of active Radiothon period. Um, But they do get to us. We get them eventually. So um, we'll revisit that in a few weeks' time and have a look and probably thank you again. But, yeah, it means the world. All right, today's program. It's big. (laughs) It is. We're going to catch up with Ben Francischelli shortly. He is our coastal paleontologist extraordinaire uh specializing really in ancient what what now ancient coasts looked like literally millions of years ago and particularly our very local coasts around mm-hmm. the uh, around the bay yep the wonderful treasures that we have there the stuff that they bring out and and the citizen scientists find and he describes that to us and That's but yeah it. really feels really special to have Ben on the show a lot. It always does. And he particularly specialises in Bayside, where there's an incredibly rich fossil record. Um, He's going to be giving a talk this coming Wednesday called The Nature of Change in Port Phillip Bay, along with renowned coastal geomorphologist Professor David Kennedy. Um, We we don't have David on the program. We must get him on, though, at some point, Dr Beach. Let's. Yes. Uh, But Ben will be on the program shortly and uh, telling us all about what's coming up this weekend and, and also what else has been up to. We haven't caught up with him for a while. Yeah. That'll be good. Um, then we are going to speak with Marinara dive reporter Cara Hull. We have two dive reporters, Cara Hull and uh, and Myra, um, who's – why have I forgotten Myra's surname, Kelly? Thank you. <laughs> 
I just had a brain fade. She's probably doing an appropriate um, face palm That's right That's right. Now. I've had about three brain fades already this morning <laughs> in the last six minutes, I reckon. Um, Cara, can you believe this, Dr. Beach? The Great Southern Reef, which yeah. extends pretty much the bottom half of this massive and amazing country. Cara has driven and dived the entire thing. Oh. Like not every single dive spot that exists, but she's covered the whole lot. And she's on her way back to Melbourne um, after doing it in bits and pieces over the last – well, actually, I don't know how long she's been doing it for. We'll ask her. But she's going to talk to us about the Great Southern Reef from a um, from an individual personal perspective, what it's been like to drive and dive the whole thing. That beautiful Great Southern Reef that we have with the kelps and all the different animals and plants that are associated with that, yeah. that wonderful environment. She sent me a photo of her camping right on the very – one of those amazing cliffs on the Nullarbor Plain, just staring oh. out to sea. <laughs> just, wow. I was impressed and jealous in equal measure. Um, and uh, we've also – we're very excited to have in studio for the second half of our show, Mal Webb and Kylie Morrigan. They're bringing in some Radiothon music live for us and for you, all with marine-themed songs. <laughs> Fiddler Ray. Or references at least. Yep. Yes, the Southern Fiddler Ray. The Southern Fiddler Ray. They were doing a little warm-up before and it warmed the cockles of my heart, Dr Beach. It's always wonderful to have them in. They're smiling out there in the green room. They're excited to come in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fiddle it, they're ready. That's it. And then we've got a bit of news. Um, yes. Well, a bit, a bit a of life's at, paper. A life's at Beach at the end, or uh, well, maybe at the beginning. We'll see what happens with Ben. Associative learning. Um, training a jellyfish how to do stuff. Like you can train your dog, like... All sorts of animals can be trained, but a very humble little box jellyfish about the size of your fingertip. Um, experiments have been done by people in Denmark and in Germany uh, to show that these things can be trained to avoid bumping into particular things which are important in their life. So, for example, like the prop roots of mangroves, um, that's where they live. Anyway, I'll talk more about that very yeah, cool. soon, but a really interesting paper uh, which gets at the heart of, of learning in animals. And how do you train something that doesn't have a brain? Ah, this is what we'll talk about. Mm. Mm. Is it the scarecrow? Wizard of Oz scarecrow of marine fauna? <laughs> well, it does have some nerves. Okay. It's got a, it does have a very basic nervous system, but not a whole bunch of neurons in one spot. Yeah, nice. Triple R. This one came through during Radiothon, and I neglected to mention it, but wanted to very much thank... Mandy Robertson from the Dolphin Research Institute because she has moved on to other things. Mandy's been amazing in the work that she's done in advocating for our local marine environment, but in particular just the marine education work that the Dolphin Research Institute does. So she's done that for nearly 13 years as education director and uh, she's moving on to take up a role with Mornington Peninsula Shire Council but still working in sustainability and environmental areas. So... That's a good thing. Um, three cheers for Mandy. Three cheers for Mandy. We really wanted to shout this out to you, Mandy. I'm not sure if you're listening because um, we we just are so blown away by what you do and what everyone in the Dolphin Research Institute yeah. does because, of course, they, they, their name, Dolphin Re- Research Institute, really just relates back to their beginnings. But the, the education work that they do is ongoing. They do such incredible work with schools. Yeah. Um, and Mandy is education and director. And not just with dolphins. No. 
Of course. That's it. They have ambassadors through their school's program. Um, In her time, Mandy worked with 6,000 marine ambassadors, over 100 schools, council partners, and developed and ran more than 600 workshops um, and uh, incredible work that she's done with uh, her work as a role model as well. She was awarded the Dame Phyllis Frost Award in 2021 from Keep Australia Beautiful and uh, has also been a recipient of the Environmental Educator of the Year Award. So just incredible work over a long period of time and we salute you, Mandy Robertson. We Thank sure you. do. Thank you for everything that you've done and um, good luck with what comes next. Yeah. Yeah. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Without further ado, it's an absolute delight, as always, to welcome our own, your ours, Ben, coastal paleontologist, <laughs> Ben Francicelli. How are you, Ben? I am groovy this morning. Buongiorno, nice. buongiorno today. Beautiful day today. Absolutely <laughs> stunning. The sun is in the sky. Couldn't be happy to be here. Very good. What have you been up to? It's been a while since we caught up oh, with my- you. It's just a crazy amount of work at the moment. So one of my roles at the moment is working for Bayside City Council, creating an exhibition, and everything is coming into place, which is really nice. I've been working with citizen scientists and gathering many of their specimens that are going to go on display for the exhibition itself. And there's about a 1,000 individual fossil specimens from giant killer sperm whale teeth to chunks of baleen whale jaw, megalodon, etc. So that's been really exciting. I've been doing a little bit of documentary work on the side as well. We did some work on the Megalodon just recently. So that's been very eventful, uh, diving into the water uh, to try and escape the Megalodon at one point, which was very fun. <laughs> I, I'm just getting this, this image of you, Ben. <laughs> yeah, um, freezing cold is definitely the image that you need to have because yeah. I was shivering. Even though I had my wetsuit on, I looked absolutely horrific as I came out. And then they expected me to say my lines. And I must have forgotten it like five or six times coming up the uh, the side of the, the pier going, I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to dunk back right back again and then come back up again. I'm not a good actor at all, unfortunately, with that. But, yeah, no, things have been great. They've been very busy, but they've been great. It, it sounds like you're the, the, quite the media star at the moment. <laughs> There's even more and stuff I even can't talk about oh, yet, right. which is very, very exciting. But we'll get to that at another time, though. I'm so. hoping you might be able to talk about this. We have a young listener, Edie Walker, who uh, has a particular fascination with megalodons. And I know she she's probably listening right now eating pancakes because that's what they often do on a Sunday Hi, morning. Edie. Hey, Edie. Um, <laughs> Hi, Edie. <laughs> can you kind of tell us a bit more about this upcoming doco? Because I'm fascinated and I, I'm absolutely sure Edie will be as well. Uh, well, it's going to be done in conjunction with the Bayside Gallery itself. And what I really wanted to set out and do is kind of show people what our current knowledge is of this gigantic shark and then focus on the Bayside specimens and what they can teach us as well. At the end of the, uh, at the, end of the documentary, I basically say this is just the tip of the iceberg for what we can expect for this place. There's so much more still to learn but we can compare a number of fossils from the actual teeth of the megalodon itself going out in the field and finding them uh to big long segments of jaw from baleen whales that have got actual bite marks from the megalodon on it which is just phenomenal to look at every time i look at it i almost wet myself with anticipation going i can't believe this preserved i really i really legitimately cannot believe that this ever survived the fossil record to begin with so uh Edie, it'll be really exciting it'll be totally up your alleyway it's not too gory or disgusting i hope uh but i think you'll like it a lot yeah awesome. and, and megalodons being sharks don't i mean they're mostly cartilage they don't have hard bone that that would be correct wouldn't it so the only things that do preserve a teeth really 
Correct teeth. Uh, they're coprolites, which are spiral Mr. Whippy shaped, and they don't look that delicious at all. What are and they? the bite marks that what, they what are leave. What coprolites? Are they like, like fossilised poo? Uh, yes, co- fossilised poo, correct. Yes, coprolites are fossilised poo. And yeah, for some reason, sharks have very soft, very Mr. Whippy like poo. It's quite disgusting. We could talk a lot more about that. We could have a, 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 a show fascinated. on shark poo. Coprolites. Yeah. Oh, no, what have I unleashed? No, no, we don't need to talk about shark food this morning. It's already, it's too early already. Is there a whole field of study into coprolites? Yeah, there is, actually. There's a humongous field of study. You're a bit of a coprophile, I I think, aren't you, Brian? A coprolite file. There's probably (laughs) a very big difference there, Dr. Beach. I can tell you that I think the most interesting fossil poo that's ever been discovered is probably because of its namesake tyrannosaurus rex poo is fascinating because embedded in the poop itself i think it's like the biggest poop that's ever been found like more than a meter across so this thing laid an absolute <laughs> steam <laughs> when it just before it died but inside the poo were bits of bone from other dinosaurs that actually hadn't digested properly, yeah. and even its own shed teeth that it accidentally swallowed went down the entire digestive tract and came back out the other side, wow. which is just what a fantastic paper that'd be. Just think about well, the I mean, DNA possibilities. So you know, can only imagine how painful it would have been to the animal as it was going through that digestive tract. Mm. I was just thinking that, and some of the things my dog throws up like it doesn't digest, and like oh. <laughs> Apologies to everyone having breakfast I, I don't know right how we're now. On to this. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Edie, eating your pancakes. There. <laughs> Not the greatest. Anyway, the, the Bayside all. thing, the Bayside exhibition. Tell us about it. It sounds very exciting. So it's slated to open in June of 2024. We're calling it Prehistoric Bayside. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be working with a bunch of paleo artists as well to create the artwork to put up on the wall. Um, and it's going to just encompass the five to six million years of everything you can possibly think of, of everything that I've ever talked about when I come onto this show. And yeah, it's 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 really a dream come true. The opportunity to, to get to do this, to do the videography as well to commission the artwork and work closely with them we've had there's some really exciting discussions we've had i can't oh, i really want to talk more about it but i can't i just That's can't right. just yet so we love a good soon i promise yeah <laughs> but 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 june of next year june 2024 and will that Correct. be um at one particular venue or spread across the um, bayside council region it'll It'll be the uh, Brighton Gallery itself and Bayside Gallery right next to the town hall there. Oh, yeah. So they've got a number of exhibitions there at the moment, but if you can picture a whole bunch of dead things slated up on the wall, that's going to be my exhibition. Brighton Town Hall always makes me think of surf movies. <laughs> yeah, I've, um, I've been to an exhibition there. Big shout out to Andrew Gaynor if you're listening, um, Triple R subscriber, uh, who's the curator or was a couple of years ago. I don't know if he still is, um, but curator of exhibitions at the Brighton Town Hall. Really lovely space. Yeah. Very nice. Great exhibition. Space there. Awesome. Hey, we should talk about your um, upcoming talk on Wednesday with the VMPA. Yes, the Victorian National Parks Association. It's called The Nature of Change in Port Phillip Bay. And basically for the 20-minute slot that I've got, I'm going to be talking with geomorphologist uh, Professor David Kennedy. I think he's going first and I'm going second. But essentially I'm going to be talking about how Port Phillip Bay has changed over the last 100,000 years, how it wasn't a bay as little as six to 10,000 years ago. So what came before it? What did that look like? What were the animals that roamed it more importantly as well? And what is the fossil record from within? in that time, especially along the Mornington Peninsula, kind of tell us more about that. 
But I'm also going to be talking about some of the more sub-recent extinctions that have happened within our lifetime as well from uh, grain earth sharks. And I've come onto the show and talked about them before and their amazing anatomy. But there's one creature in particular I really want to focus on. Um, I've been reading reports about eastern quolls. Do either of you know much about them at all? Uh, not a lot. I just know that they are uh, carnivores and they're very much in danger. And we've got a couple that are sort of well, – there are some small populations getting better. <laughs> Correct. Yes, we do have some small populations, but in the 1950s, so the eastern quoll is a small carnivorous marsupial, and they're absolutely adorable. They look a little bit like a cat, but they're separated by hundreds of millions of years of evolution. Don't let their cat-like appearance fool you in the same way that the thylacine looked a little bit like a wolf or a dog. They're very, very different from the kinds. But the last one that was uh, seen... On the mainland, natively, was in 1963, and they went completely extinct from that point onwards, and we can't find them. Now, their populations, though, have been getting a massive hit. We don't know what actually killed them off in the end. There's no doubt that humans played an important hand, but it's also possible that there was disease in the same way that there is disease in the facial devil tumors of uh, the Tasmanian devils today. So... There's a really interesting synchronicity there. There's also an attempt to try and bring them back to the mainland because the Tasmanian population, of course, was isolated just until recently at about six to 8,000 years ago with the filling of Port Phillip Bay. So we still have some eastern quolls. There's a humong- tremendous push to bring them back to the mainland and take on that kind of meso-predator niche, that in-between almost fox-like predator niche, and even maybe replace the foxes once we can eradicate them when they put them in there. Cool. Um, so, so I'm just there's I know that there's a little zoo near the Grampians where they have some eastern quolls. So they are the, are they eastern quolls that they've got there? They're eastern quolls. I also believe they may have tiger quolls there as well. The tiger quolls are still around in right, Victoria, okay. but their populations are only just hanging on. And when you see pictures of them, oh, they look like a miniature jaguar. At least the males do. They're just so robust and muscular. You can see them slouching and you can see the shoulder blades moving individually as they're kind of walking the landscape. They're just fabulous looking predators. They can get to about seven or eight kilos in weight. So they're much larger than you might think of it. But I think what's so fascinating about the eastern quolls to me isn't anything to do with its extinction but more so to do with its hyperabundance in Victoria up until the 1860s. And some of the quotes are just the most ludicrous thing you've ever heard in your entire life because there are some trappers prior to the 1860s who were saying that they were killing 200 eastern quolls in a single night. And yet within the blink of a geological eye, these animals go extinct. So it's going to be a really fascinating talk. Uh, the quolls might take a little part of, of the <laughs> talk itself because I'm just reading reading the actual uh, statements and uh, recordings themselves from people who lived at the time. Like there's one here um, that said, in the 1870s, a plague of them similar to present-day mouse plague swept over the country. They were in thousands and spent the day in hollow logs under outbuildings or anywhere they could get shelter. It's just absurd to think that there were so many, and now there are none that are left behind. So you're thinking disease? Well, I think there's a combination of factors that are there. I think foxes probably play a very big role, cats as well. Humans undeniably played a role in exterminating them. But there's also another thing, and there's a number of reports of this distemper-like disease that may have wiped out the population. And, I mean, we look at the analogue of of devils today with the facial devil tumour. 
there's there's a lot that's going on there. And if we hadn't have stepped in and done something about that, their populations undoubtedly would have been wiped out in Tasmania as well. So there's something that's going on there. So if you are keen and you'd like to come along to the talk itself, it's Wednesday, the 11th of October, 6 till 7 p.m. You can check out my socials, a fool's experiment, a underscore fool's underscore experiment, and you can come along and you can just go to the very first link and it'll take you right there. Brilliant, Ben. We've already put a link to that on our own Facebook page. So if people, people click the uh, splendid photo of you holding up a fossil, uh, it will take you to a caption and the link is right there. So you can find out all the information that you need to know. Incredible. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. So we're going to catch you again in about a month's time. Correct, yes. And I think in that month's time, I'll just continue to give you updates about the Bayside Gallery and the different things that we're doing and the artwork we're commissioning because it looks amazing yeah. right now. You'll love it. So exciting. We so look forward to that. Thanks, Ben. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, both of you. Have a great day. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you too. See, See you ya. soon. Ben Francis Shelley there. Doing great stuff and yeah. um, really getting us in tune with our bay and what it was like in the past and those beautiful animals that were there. And, and thank goodness he good. is because... Uh, I know. He does a wonderful job. He does an amazing job. Triple Ah. Just going to give a bit of a plug, actually. This one is for the Port Phillip Eco Centre. They sent out a newsletter in September when we're in the middle of Radiothon period. Um, they've got some plastic-free bay activities uh, and they're calling out for volunteers to have a look at what's in the drains, Dr Beach. So this is some citizen science analysis of what is coming through our stormwater system. Uh, so um, Port Phillip Eco Centre launching a new microplastics research team to help audit what is found in litter traps and waterways across Melbourne. Um, they're working in partnership with Tangaroa Blue Foundation and uh, also Pipe Management Australia, Yarra Riverkeeper and Beach Patrol to safeguard and revitalise the health of our waterways through a new study. So this establishes that foundation level of knowledge of what is coming through uh, the stormwater system and then from there they can work out um, some suggestions and I guess an approach So if that, um, if that floats it. your boat, checking out plastic and trying to identify it, then um, yeah, get in touch with the St Kilda Eco Centre. They are. It does sound like a bit of fun actually. I wouldn't mind doing that. Yeah. I'm sure they'd love to have you on board, Dr Beach. And, um, of course, the St Kilda Eco Centre has... Um, Captain Trash. Yeah, Captain Trash. Our very own Captain Trash, a.k.a. Neil Blake. (laughs) So they're looking for 10 keen volunteers to join Microplastics Research Team. Uh, You do need to commit to a minimum of four... uh, six-hour days across... But that's across two years. Um, So four days... Uh, at six hours each. Um, the days that are coming up, the first one is the 19th of October, so that's why I thought I'd mention that one now. Uh, then the 20th of October as well, and then a couple in December. So um, we'll keep you posted with details for that. Triple R. It's with absolute excitement, thrill, I don't know, I need a thesaurus. Uh, to, <laughs> I'm just, we're just very happy. Uh, Malweb, Kylie Morrigan, welcome. Good Hurrah. morning. It's so good to be back. I should say, yes, indeed, welcome back. And um, it's, it's a celebratory return for you to us. You've been kind of around the world and back since you were here last. Yeah, but actually in the studio, because we've been, we Skyped into you guys over yes. COVID and stuff, but we haven't Yeah, we did this. a couple of times. It's a long time since we've been in the studio. Yeah, wow. Lovely to be back. And uh, a little bit of a post-radiothon um, celebration for us, but thank you to all of our listeners and Triple R listeners in general who've subscribed during the recent Radiothon period. Yay. So, um, yeah, I subscribed, yay. Yay, <laughs> thank you. 
Good on ya. So um, live music for the rest of the program. Um, so uh, you're going to kick off with some a piece that we've actually played, the ah. recorded version, and this one's really special and uh, great to play it now because following you will be Kara Hull, who is our dive reporter, Brilliant. and she, along with Myra, uh, have been very active um, in reporting what it's like to dive locally, but, but particularly this one beautiful animal, which you've now written a song uh, in dedication. Yeah, well, Jeannie, Jeannie Marsh from Elwood, who does the Elwood Singing and Walking Trail, um, she said, can you do a fiddly, a song with fiddle about the southern fiddle array? And so uh, we threw this one together surprisingly quickly. <laughs> and I've, I've used this chord, which is the Girlfriend Eponema chord, so we get that beachy vibe. So are you ready? All around Port Phillip Bay, on a still and clear day, if you're lucky you may see a southern fiddle array, aka Trigon Arena, demerrily eyes we merrily by. You should have seen her, demerrily eyes we merrily by. So killed a marina, demerrily eyes we merrily by. She doesn't have a sting, so your street will be okay. Come say good day to the Southern Fiddlery, Trigon Arena, Demerrily I. Trigon Arena, Demerrily I, 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 I. If she comes to have a play, give her space to swim away. She's a beauty, so hey, make today the day we praise the ray. Hooray! Trigon Arena, Demerrily Eyes, we merrily by. Trigon Arena, Demerrily Eyes, you should give the eye. Some kill the marina. Demerrily, yeah, don't need to be shy. She doesn't have a sting, so your feet will be okay. Come say good day to the southern fiddlery. Trigon Arena, Demerrily I. And Trigon Arena, southern fiddlery. Demerrily Arena, southern fiddlery. Demerrily I, Trigon Arena. I wish there were more than two of us applauding right now. That was just <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. <laughs> well, 100% of the crowd went wild. So yeah, exactly. yeah, that was gorgeous. Thank you so much. Aww. Amazing. You're going to stick around and play some more tunes. Love to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Triple R. Kara Hull is our dive reporter, um, along with Myra Kelly, and she has uh, recently been going, we'll say coast to coast, um, having a look at the Great Southern Reef uh, from a diver's perspective, but also travelling. She's sitting in her car right now. I can see her. You can't see me, Kara, so we'll sort out our camera issue in just a sec. You can just see the top of my head. There we go. <laughs> How are you? Welcome. Good morning. How are you all? Happy Octopus Day. Yes. So I neglected to mention this. It's World Octopus Day. It's World Octopus Day today. My goodness. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, Myra sent me a message just as I was on my way in. And, um, hey, Mal and Kylie, we might have to get you to write a song about an octopus. We can throw one together in the next 15 minutes. That was a great track, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yes, happy World Octopus Day. And, uh, yeah, next year we'll be more on our toes and maybe dedicate the entire show to um, octop- eight legs. Octopi. That's right. Eight legs. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Eight arms, eight legs. Um, so, Cara, whereabouts are you right now? I am in Brunswick Heads. And oh, I thought you were going to say Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> Brunswick Heads, um, just south of the New South Wales Queensland border. And we've had a little bit of rain here, so I think you guys have, might have better weather than we do. 
Brunswick Heads. It's so very beautiful. Car. Oh, it's up there. Um, oh, just about a month ago, spending two or three nights. Just a picture perfect place. Um, so we were talking about the Great Southern Reef. Let's let's start with that because I'm guessing there's a potential we'll have people listening who aren't familiar with the Great Southern Reef. We've heard a lot about the Great Barrier Reef, of course, and we've heard a lot about Ningaloo Reef on on the other side of the country. The Great Southern Reef. Can you quickly just describe what it is? Yeah, so it runs from Kilbarry, which is over in Western Australia, and all the way around the bottom of Australia, including Tasmania, and up to basically the border of Queensland and New South Wales. And it's made up by all the different kelps and seagrasses and some of the rocky outcrops, um, temperate water, and, yeah, so many endemic, beautiful species that inhabit it. It's it's wonderful. It's called the um, the other reef, but I'd like to think it's our new awesome reef. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit rude. I don't think we should call yeah, it the it's other the, reef. Like it's in some way. Reef. I don't yeah. like that term. <laughs> and, and and instead of having like a coral base, it, it, it's most, mostly rocks, isn't it? It's um from you know which we have kelp growing, as you mentioned before, Cara, and all the beautiful animals that, that live in that yeah, habitat. Yeah, well. and so many endemic to the Great Southern Reef, you know, and it's it's worth highlighting all of that and looking at them. And you know, it's been interesting for me seeing from coast to coast, I guess, just how the different ecosystems and the animals that I'm used to seeing sort of in Victoria, like for example, I think when I was over, I think it was in Rodhurst Island, but you sort of saw some old wives and if people don't know what they are, they hang out in groups and they're sort of black and white fish. And usually we'd see them amongst sort of weeds and, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say weeds, <laughs> sea grasses and kelps. But over there I saw them swimming across hard corals and it's like, oh, hang on, you have to sort of double take and be like, oh, that's weird. Okay. <laughs> so, Yeah, they were always, when I used to do a lot of diving, old wives were always a given, like you would always see an old wife on a yeah. dive. Yeah, yeah, they're beautiful though. <laughs> they really are very distinctive black and, I mean, and white it's fish. It's also been great to sort of see, you know, as you as I've travelled around. I haven't dived everywhere. I have to admit, you can't dive all the way around the coast, but I have snorkeled a lot. Um, and just also talking to the people, you know, getting out there and understanding sort of. You know, I think it's what sixty percent of Australians live within twenty kilometres of the Great Southern Reef, so it's you know massive. And seeing the the connection that people have to it and what is important to them. You know, and all the different issues that are both global and local to those areas. That's an amazing statistic, there, Doctor Beach. It, 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 yeah, I'm just 60- processing it. Sixty percent of us live um, very near the Southern Reef. Like I said, it, it encapsulates Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne and yeah. Adelaide and Perth as well, the big so, cities. But yeah, so literally millions and millions and millions of people living within such close proximity. We should be really paying more attention to it. Definitely, not that it's about us, but. It's important that we do. <laughs> and the endemicity you, you mentioned you said before. from Ben about extinction and a little bit of this trip for me is I call it last chance to see. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. Things are going extinct all the time. It sounds a little bit sad, but it's also about showing people what's under the water, what's, you know, what the coastlines are and getting people involved and getting involved in those areas as well. Nice reference there back to Douglas Adams. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you mentioned before the, the endemicity. That, so that a lot of the animals that we find there we don't find anywhere else. And so too with the plants, Cara, you realise that the, the, the algae, the, the seaweeds, so many red seaweeds in particular and brown seaweeds that we don't find anywhere else on earth. Yeah, exactly. And so great to see. So can I go back to a basic question, Cara? What, yep. what led you to do this? This is a, an enormous amount of <laughs> of space that you've looked at you've you've traveled a really long way did you have you gone sort of from west coast to east coast how did you go about it or is it just sort of been more 
oh, you know, I've got some holidays from work. I'll go to this place this time. Like, how, um, how have you gone yeah. about it? <laughs> well, it was a little bit accidental, shall we say. <laughs> I decided last year to drive to Exmouth because I wanted to go up to Exmouth. So I did the coast, drove up to Exmouth, drove back down, did sort of southwestern WA and back around the corner. And then it wasn't until I was driving up here, which is, you know, where I am now, that I was thinking, oh, wow, I've done all of the Great Southern Reef. <laughs> so I've sort of just been snorkelling, swimming, diving along the way. <laughs> and um, where do you have a favourite location or do you have a, like a, a bunch of favourite locations? Oh, is that like so a favourite child question? From. Yeah. So many to choose from. But I think Esperance is lovely. The sandy, white sandy shores with the turquoise water was just amazing. But, you know, there's also sort of all the little island outcrops here, like Julian Rocks. Hopefully I'm diving out there this week. Um, yeah, so many, too, too many to choose from. <laughs> and Cara, do you have a dive buddy with you? No, I'm all by myself. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so are you taking charters out and then just being paired up with somebody? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I just jump in for a snorkel. But I always, it's always important. I chat, chat to the locals, find out, you know, what the weather conditions are, what I need to be aware of, you know, and that's part of sort of getting to know the people and that connection back to that local area. Are there any places yeah. where you've dived that you've dived before and you're noticing any kind of differences or, or not differences? Oh, uh, heaps. So Solitary Islands is one that I really love, which is just off Coffs Harbour. And that's sort of where the temperate and tropical waters mix. And I'm really interested. I'm This isn't my scientific area, <laughs> but I'm really interested to see like how those boundaries are shifting with climate change and um, are we paying attention to that, um, those sort of things, you know, like, yeah, I don't know if you can get someone on the show that knows more about that than me, I'm sure. <laughs> But it, it, yeah, you're right. It is a very interesting place, the solitary islands. We got the, as you said, the temperate and the tropical waters mixing in those those several islands that you see off the coast. I, I just you know, saw them again um, myself, and we were up there. We went to Brunswick Heads and places like that recently. It's um, yeah, it's it's a really fascinating spot where you get yeah different groups of seaweeds, for example, mixing there that you don't see yeah. anywhere else. And then just sort of 40 k's up the road, you can be diving in. It's nearly tropical. So, yeah. you know, with the tropical fish species and, yeah. <laughs> and to get out to the solitaries, do you have that, so there's a charter boat that you can get from Coffs? That's what to take yeah, out there and dive? Yeah, I've done that one quite a few times over the years. So I'll hopefully do that on the way back down this time. Yeah. So um, you are in Brunswick Heads, as you mentioned at the start, uh, and you're about to make your way down the New South Wales well, coast. Um, anywhere in particular that you're looking forward to diving? Um, I, well, so I'm going up a little bit further more before I come back. Okay. So I'm going to Stradbroke Islands, hopefully. <laughs> and I wouldn't mind doing Wolf Rock because that's another one I haven't done. Uh, oh, where's, yeah. where's Wolf Rock? Just off Rainbow Beach. Up on off Queensland, okay. so above Brisbane. All yeah. oh, right, okay, so north of Brisbane. Um, and yeah. you mentioned Julian Rocks. That's an amazing dive. I did it years ago. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't got out there yet. So. Where's, Ju- where's Julian Rocks? I don't know that. Uh, Byron Bay. Ah, okay. Yeah. And then yeah. are you doing um, Southwest Rocks? Uh, yes, there's another favourite. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I've done that one a few times too. Can't, and, you know, that grey nurse sharks and the protection around the grey nurse sharks is another thing that feeds into that you know, protection of the Great Southern Reef. Like we really need to be looking at all this and giving ourselves more protection for the Great Southern Reef. Yeah, wonderful. Giving ourselves, I say. <laughs> we'll have to move on in just a sec. I'm just wondering, yep. um, when, so when are you planning on being back in Melbourne? Because it'd be really great uh, to have a, a wrap-up of your yeah, entire probably trip. In the, probably in the next month. Um, but can I just give a quick shout-out to all those down at Portsy doing the Andaria clean-up? Um, I think it's starting at 10 o'clock. So, you know, 
there we go, protecting weeding uh, Great Southern Reef, the invasive Indario they're taking out today at Portsea, Morgan and crew. That's right, at 10 o'clock down at Portsea, I think they're heading yeah. off from Portsea Pier, is it, Clara? Yes, Portsea Pier, 10 o'clock. Yeah, okay, and that's um, that's Undaria, the Golden Kelp. We spoke about that. Was that last time you were in Dr Beach? Uh, I think it was, yes, yeah. so the invasive um, brown kelp. Yeah, and I know you're up in Queensland, but do you have a local dive report for us, Cara? Yes, I heard that there are some baby seahorses at Blegari, which are some of my favourites. So <laughs> I heard <laughs> that too. Go for a bit too. of a snorkel and see those. <laughs> Yeah, no, Mara, and Mara's been posting some amazing um, images of um, sea dragons, just male uh, sea yeah. dragons, just covered in eggs. Incredible. Yeah. So it's Get all happening. It. Yeah, they're getting busy yeah. down there. That's fantastic. And nice to see those populations <laughs> healthy and yeah. booming. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, always a pleasure, Cara. It's wonderful to see you looking so Thank well. You. Um yes. And uh, which is just for us to look at, of course, because people are listening and can't see you. Um, but hearing you sounds so well as well. So, yeah, look, safe travels and all the best with the rest of your trip around the Great Southern Reef. And, um, yeah, look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you. Have a good morning, everyone. Thanks, Cara. See, see you soon. Cara. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. We're very excited today because we are joined live in studio by Mal Webb and Kylie Morrigan who've come in to play us some amazing songs, all of their own writing, and we heard uh, Southern Fiddler Ray earlier. We're about to hear another one. Yeah, well, this is a song about your brain, and one of the things, like, I, I wrote this during COVID, and um, the, one of the things I find amazed about my brain is that I can listen to the sound of maybe a wheelie bin or a, a train or a trams and convert it to waves on a beach in my head. Because, like, pink noise is just pink noise. Mm. And so that occasionally sort of undulating pink noise. Yeah, anyway, so this is a song which references that. As, but it's just generally about your brain. And it's an 11. So 11 for a Sunday morning. And it's a 4 plus 3 plus 4, 11. But we also put 3 plus 2 plus 3 against it. So, oh. so listen out for that. It's a bit of uh, ridiculous rhythm stuff. Here we go. You ready, Kay? Step up. There's lots that we know, but for what remains, we just make step up. Joining the dots and filling the gaps with definite maybes and a strong perhaps. When fact disagrees with hypotheses, you might make step up. But fudging results, even by degrees, is a great step up. Right when you conceive it, you wanna believe it, but you gotta leave it for peers to receive it. Folks who are in the know, see if they give it a go. And if they see how the data sums up, they might just give it a thumbs up. Yeah, but having said that, there's a chance that you've found something so new that it's hard to prove. Keep checking yourself, yet stick to your groove. Those paradigm shifts take a while to move. You might have to lay low, not like Galileo. When those flat earthers say no, don't want to end up with a premature halo. Hell no. Pride takes a dive when we're proven wrong, so we make stuff up and try to imply we were right all along. It's a great step up, joining the dots and filling the gaps with definite maybes and a strong perhaps. 
Yeah, but value is so subjective When appreciation is the sole objective The hype and hope fades over time Faith and fashion can turn on a dime Distant rumbling noise you hear. Does it annoy or bring you joy or fear? Is it the ocean roar, a busy road, a waterfall, or a passing train? Is it the thunder, wind, and rain, a growling bowl, a willy bin, or a jet plane? You choose how you explain it through how you use your brain. It takes a gentle mental shove. It could be one, it could be some, it could be all of the above, all of the above, all of the above. It could be none, it could be one, it could be some, it could be all of the above, all of the above, all of the above, all of the above, all of the above. That was almost, I thought you were about to lead into water bears there, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> that was incredible. Sweet. I counted six instruments, including voice there. So Kylie, oh, yeah, Kai's flute. Yeah, so I think we're doing this in honour of the Day of the Octopus. So we have to have lots of tentacles <laughs> yes. to play all the instruments. Definitely. And we will, that was actually a shortened version of that song, which might be hard to believe, but we'll do the full version at our gig next Saturday at 3.03 in the afternoon. Excellent. 3.03. As in bar 3.03 at yes. 2 o'clock. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is that like a polyrhythm that's yeah. sort of coming with the time? So uh, violin, flute, guitar, stomp box, beatbox, vocals. Outrageous. Amazing. <laughs> Incredible. That was an absolutely perfect lead-in to Dr Beach's segment because we were just singing about brains. And you, we're were about just, you were just singing about brains. That's right. And. I'm going to talk about an animal which doesn't have a brain, and that's a, um, a box jellyfish. We are familiar with the box jellyfish here. I'm talking about a really small one which lives in the Caribbean in mangroves. Um, mangroves have... Imagine yourself as a little box jellyfish, Mal and Kylie and Bron, down amongst the mangroves trying to find a little copepod, a little crustacean or something. And jellyfish are really tender, aren't they? You don't want to sort of bash into something. You'll lose bits of jelly and stuff and you'll fall apart. You'll lose those precious tentacles. So they have to be pretty careful about the way they find their prey amongst the mangroves. How do you train a box jellyfish to avoid the mangroves, to stop bumping into them? Well, these clever scientists from Denmark and from Germany did an experiment where they got a tank, a cylindrical tank. And that cylindrical tank, they had bars around the outside. Some of them were black. And in other ones, to stimulate, to um, emulate murky water, they had grey bars. So picture yourself being a little jellyfish in the cylindrical tank and you've got either black bars around the outside or you've got grey bars around the outside. When they're in a tank with the black bars, 
the jellyfish can see them pretty clearly. They can see those black bars because they have little eyes. They don't have a brain. They don't have a centralised brain. But they do have neurons. They have nerve cells. And these nerve cells are associated with these little photoreceptor things, which we call ropalia or eyes. So eye spots, if you like. They've got four of those. They can use those to detect contrast. And, for example, the prop roots from the mangroves in the wild where they live. But when you're simulating, when you're not stimulating, simulating that environment in um, this this tank that the, the scientists are doing, we find that the, the jellyfish don't bump into the black bars because mm. they can see them quite well with the contrast. However, when you've got murky water and they simulate that by having grey bars instead of the black bars in these, circular, in these cylindrical tanks, at first the jellyfish will bump into it and then they might a second time. But pretty quickly after a couple of minutes they realise that, oh, hang on, this is murky water, I'm not going to bump into it. So they learn very quickly by association not to be able to do that or to be able to you know, prevent themselves from sort of busting themselves up and getting into that. And the really interesting thing about this is the jellyfish, of course, as we've said before, don't have a centralised brain. They've got some nerve cells and they are very, very early evolving animals. We've only got the sponge just before that. And so we have jellyfish, which are the next ones up, and they're in a group called the cnidarians. Um, included in that are sea anemones and also corals. But this experiment is showing that you can, even without a brain, without a huge, like without a massive of nerve cells, that you can learn by association to avoid doing things that are not good for you. That's absolutely amazing. What, what led to this research? Uh, it was stimulated by a paper that we talked about on the show about six months ago where somebody else was um, doing work on another cnidarian, a sea anemone, and they could show with a sea anemone that if you flashed light at the sea anemone, and then straight afterwards gave it a little electric shock. <laughs> and these are things which sea anemones don't get in the wild. They don't get electric shocks. But they could show in the lab that the sea anemone would associate, once it got the light, it would retract before it got the electric shock. Uh-huh. So it would learn to do that. Okay. So, so you could show associative learning in a sea anemone. Yeah. But the big sort of problem with that study was that it wasn't replicating anything that was happening in the wild. Mm. So these people decided to, um, with the person who did that earlier study, together to go and work on cnidarians, very simple animals, same group of animals, but to show something which was relevant to their lifestyle in the wild, hence the tanks with the, um, the contrasting bars, which look like the prop roots of mangroves. Fantastic. Research like this is just, it's groundbreaking, isn't it, really? Because it has... Big evolutionary implications. And practical um, implications. Mm. Um, the person who led this work um, is doing it because he wants to start training robots and he wants to... Um, uh, AI. Yeah. yeah, right. Of course. Fascinating. Thanks, Dr. Beach. No worries. This kind of brings us to the end of the program. I'm going to do my thank yous now because we're going to go out with one last piece of music from Mal and Kylie. So thank you first up to Ben Francischelli who spoke to us at the start of the program about megafauna in Port Phillip Bay. Again, we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page for the talk that he's giving coming up. Thanks to Cara Hull for talking about the Great Southern Reef and the work that she's doing as well. Thank you, Dr Beach, very much. Um, thank you, Rachel, who has been panelling for us today. Thanks to David, who will have this show up as a podcast in the next few days. I'm going to mention next week's program because we're going to go out with some music. Uh, Neil Blake, hopefully, will be coming in and uh, talking to us about his role as baykeeper for Port Phillip Bay and some of the work going on there we mentioned earlier. Um, also, we'll be speaking with the new president for the Australian Marine Conservation Society, uh, Penelope Figures, so talking to her about AMCS and what's coming up for them. Uh, and Farm will be in the studio with me as well. So... 
Mel and Kylie, what are we going out with? This is a song called uh, Nyurwii, which is uh, in the Majara and Walpuri language from uh, up north of Alice Springs in Tea Tree. And uh, co-wrote, I wrote the, co-wrote this a couple, oh, about 10 years ago with uh, the, one of the teachers up there. And it's called Nyurwii, which means in the old days. Guiandora Chichamapanang Nechata This is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.